There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So you is that there's something about newborn babies that really just uh, tickle my fancy, especially when I get to hand them back to their mothers, you know. A dear friend of mine just had a little boy, and I went over, I stopped by today, he's not even a month old yet. I stopped by just to, you know, check him out. And she was, I love this girl because she's like me. She don't stand on ceremony, and she's not nervous. It's her first child, but she's not nervous. And she says, here, you want to hold him? And handed me this beautiful little boy. And, you know, I love the way babies smell. Now, I'm not going to talk about babies for the rest of the show, but I just, it was such a, such an awesome feeling, and I haven't had it in a long time. You know, the last little baby that I think I held was my grandson, Carter, and he's like four, so I barely remember that, and I must admit, they're so cute when they're that little and they smell like milk. <laughs> it's just awesome. So anyway, Mitch McConnell just had another episode. He had it right in front of the whole press gaggle, and everybody was trying to get him to, you know, leave, sit down, do something, go away, and he refused. And I don't know what's going on with Mitch McConnell, but I really think that they ought to send him home. You know, this is not a good look. Let me take that back. I hate to use the term good look. This is not inspiring for the members of Congress or the Senate, this is not comforting to citizens like you and I. Like, I'm not a fan of the turtle anyway, even though I have every intention of one day living in the state of Kentucky. By then, he'll be long retired. If he keeps this up, he might be long gone. I don't know. He needs to chill out. But he refuses to, like, back away. And what is it about these old war horses, that they just refused to go home. I was just watching the president. He's there with the moron Secretary of Homeland Security, Mayorkas. What a... Please. And I think Lloyd Austin was there as well. And the president is trying to explain how we really need to improve the infrastructure especially when you look at something like we had today where you had a pretty major storm. We predicted it would be more major, but it was major enough. And what it exposes right away is our not very healthy grid. So the first thing he tells the uh, press and the listening audience, because we're all watching, is how he knows we don't know what a grid is. So he's going to explain it. Now, first and foremost, he cannot explain it because he doesn't know what a grid is. I know what a grid is. We all know what a grid is. We've been talking about the grid for the last 35 years. 
So I always feel like, who does he think he is? Who does he think we are? A bunch of blithering idiots? Well, I guess if you voted for him, he's right. But then he goes on to say that we need to make stronger polls. Now, I'm trying not to laugh as I recount this because it's sad. It really is. It's sad to see a man who's spent this many years in public service, even if I don't feel he did a very good job, he still devoted himself to that and to becoming very, very wealthy. And he's talking about stronger polls. What? What? How about no polls and everything being underground? Oh, we got to that a little later on. And I just, I stand there and, and I'm always in abject amazement. I try to put myself in the position of Xi Jinping or Vladimir Putin or one of the mullahs in Iran or Erdogan in Turkey or anybody, ally or enemy, watching this and thinking to themselves, what on earth has happened to America? We're pathetic. We are definitely the laughing stock. We got Mitch McConnell having episodes. We got Joe Biden trying to explain what the grid is to people who know what the grid is and then trying to explain that we have to strengthen the polls. Believe me, it's, it's just, it's gone past the point of being uncomfortable. It's now at the point of, I'm afraid that we have emboldened everyone to think that they could get away with whatever they want. So I do have to tell you all that the uh, do not comply, well, it's not do not comply, it's you must refuse to comply buttons. The first hundred are in. They're larger than I expected them to be. I was thinking the next batch is going to be back to the smaller size. And I find the smaller sizes more ladylike, but I think some people might actually prefer the big ones. Do not request big or small, okay? I tell you this just so you're prepared. I will send whatever I send to you, and all you got to do is say thank you. You don't have to fuss at me. But I will be sending all the requests. I will be able now, within the next week, to fulfill all of the requests, and I can open up for a few more requests. Not a lot, not a lot, but if there's someone out there who really was disturbed that they didn't call in time or they didn't get on board in time and they want a you must refuse to comply button. By the way, it's now like the number one trending line on just about all the websites from Truth Social to Rumble to uh, X. Everybody is trending, refuse to comply or don't comply. I, look, I hate taking credit, credit, but I've been doing this for years. And I did it because I really think that the first episode of COVID nonsense was really a trial run. And they won, we failed. And now they're sure they could do it again whenever they want to. They could say, go in your house, put on a mask, don't go to school. You can't go to church. Only 10 people allowed here, only five people allowed there. I, I just, you know, they, they pulled it off. Why, wouldn't, why would they hesitate to do it again? particularly in light of a pretty important election coming up, one that they have thrown everything they had at one President Donald Trump. Four separate trials. All of a sudden, D.C.'s on the fast track, right? Oh, they got to get this trial done in March. They got to get it done right away, right away, right away. Five months, six months. Okay, let's go. Meanwhile, this guy's sitting in the jail in the very same D.C. district 
who haven't gone to court yet. And they're being accused of an insurrection, pretty much what they're accusing Donald Trump. How come they weren't rushed into court? Because there was no win for the DA or for Jack Smith or for, you know, Judge Munchkin or whatever her name is, Chuchkin. I can't even remember their names. There's so many of them already. They're rushing this one because it's, it's the only way they can interfere with the election. And they have finally figured out, I don't know what took them so long, but they have finally figured out that every one of these indictments have not really damaged Donald Trump all that much. And we've got some of the other candidates imploding, right? Suarez is out. Vivek Ramaswamy, who had what everybody thought was a excellent performance, and that's what it was, a performance in that passing for a debate escapade. He's toast now. You know, his comments on Israel turned off everybody like me. You know, now I would not even, I know Donald Trump was saying, yeah, I might consider him for a VP. No, 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 no. No, you love Israel. Vivek Ramaswamy don't get it. And Vivek Ramaswamy does not realize that were it not for Israel, the United States would not be selling as much military equipment and hardware to other countries. Not to mention the fact that Israel battle tests all that stuff, and we don't have to. They're in a perpetual state of war in Israel. So they get to try out the stuff long before we hope we'll ever need it. I just, I sometimes watch how the media covers the various stories. You know, they hated Vivek Ramaswamy when he decided he was a Republican, which he just decided like last week or something. But now, they love him because he's against Israel. He doesn't want to, I just, I can't figure it out. I really can't. They're so insincere. They have no principles. They stand on nothing. I saw my dear friend Howard Galganov, who is in Canada and sometimes here. He had written a response to a mutual friend of ours who has really just completely lost it. And, and I don't, I can't explain it. Because it's not, it's, it doesn't even pass for thoughtful. You know, it has become the same caliber of Trump derangement syndrome that I saw in all of the left and in many of the rhinos and whatever those never Trumpers were. He's just as rabid. And you listen to him, a man who supported Donald Trump, a man who agreed that Donald Trump was a superb president for the four years that he served, and now it's like, no, never Trump, ah, you're going to fall, fall on your sword. And like, you know, <laughs> thank goodness my friend Howard agrees with me. He said, you know, if I, if I fall on my sword, I do it with principle. You know, no matter how this election turns out, you've been exposed as not having a whole lot of principle. And that's okay. I still love him. I'm sure Howard still loves him. We don't have to call each other names. We can still be friends. But it's just amazing to me. There's something about Donald Trump that just brings out the worst in people or the best in people. Because you see the level of loyalty, it's mind-boggling. And it's not just me, it's not just Dan Bongino, and it's not just Howard Galganoff. There are people who are, they're committed. They're furious that we have people in Washington and all over this country in political power who want to tell us who we should vote for, 
And who's okay? Who's acceptable? I listened to that for a while, right? For a couple of years, I was listening to, well, maybe John McCain. Oh, maybe Mitt Romney. Maybe Bob Dole. Maybe this one. Maybe What a bunch of malarkey that all ended up being. Those very same people were saying, no, not, not Donald Trump. No, 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 no. He's not real. He's not a conservative. No, 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 no. He's a New York liberal. He's not going to, uh, you know, govern conservatively. We get three Supreme Court justices who are the most conservative next to Scalia and Thomas, Scalia the late great. And actually we're finding out that, uh, that we do have a very strong conservative up there as well. But, I, you know, I just look at this insane attitude that people have and they don't, they don't smell the coffee. They don't see that a song like Richmond from North of Richmond or whatever that song is, it's the same emotion that Donald Trump tapped into in 2016. It's, we're really tired of politicians and the people that we have elected in the past looking down their noses at us as though somehow by going to Washington and uh, being allowed to eat at the bar at the Phoenix House, somehow you now know more than I do about what's good for me and what's good for this country. You must refuse to comply. You can't go for this. Stop listening to the people who tell you, oh, well, you don't care. Then you don't care if we win. You don't care if the Republicans win. You don't care if you don't care. You don't care. I do care. I care very much. And I know there's not a single person that I can think of who can fix the mess we find ourselves in right now, who would have the audacity, the nerve, the gall, the, the, the toughness of spirit as Donald Trump. I don't need to experiment. I know what he can do. I don't need to suppose. I don't need to postulate. I don't need to hypothesize. I saw him. You know, he didn't do everything, but I'll be darned if he didn't do more than I ever expected he'd be able to. And guess what? The madder they get, the more I'm sure he's the right man for the job. So that does, uh, you know, that, that's where I stand. I am not a sheeple. I'm not going to do what the Republican Party tells me to do or some of my crazy friends tell me to do or even my children tell me to do. I'm going to do exactly what I think is best for this country. If we go down, then we go down with our heads held high. I'd rather fight on my feet. I forgot how this ends. I guess fight on my feet than die on my knees. Something like that. I'm not doing it. So don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app on your cell phone or on your computer. That way you can listen to the No Restraint podcast. You can listen to Bill's podcast and, of course, the UAP, probably the number one podcast coming out of Hubbard um, right now. That's Stephen Diener's, uh, I forgot what it stands for. Boy, I'm telling you, Unidentified Alien Podcast. That's what it stands for. I'm just so, I have so much to say, and my mouth is going far faster than my brain is. So stay right where you are. I got a lot more to talk about. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson. Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
All right. Well, you know me. I, uh, I'm i not a, an attorney, and I don't pretend to be one on the radio, but I do love reading Supreme Court outlines, um, writs, and, and, of course, decisions. But there's a major theme that'll be coming out of the next term of the Supreme Court, and it has to do with administrative law. And this is like the most obscure part of law. This is the part of law that makes your eyes glaze over, you know, the body of statutes and rules and all the cases that govern the structure and the conduct of the federal government's agencies, all these administrative agencies. And of course, this is some serious stuff. We've had some pretty important ones just in this last year. We had a Supreme Court opinion that said, "Uh uh-uh, to the student loan cancellation plan. And then we had the clean power plan that would have actually shifted the nation's power grid to all renewable energy sources. That got struck down. And now there's three cases on the fall docket that could literally reshape the foundations of all of these agencies, all the entire administrative state and the power that unelected bureaucrats have over us. We have Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. We have the Security Exchange Commission, the SEC versus Jarkasi. And we have the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau versus the Community Financial Services of America. Now, what ends up happening is we have lost sight of the fact that agencies are only supposed to be agents. They're not supposed to do what they want. They're not supposed to carry out what they think is best. They're just the agents who are supposed to implement whatever it is that Congress says they should do. And they can uh, help the president in his constitutional duty because he has to faithfully execute the laws that Congress passes. They're the legislative branch, Congress. The president is the executive branch. And the Supreme Court, which does the interpreting, is the judiciary. So to be effective, you have to give the agencies a little bit of flexibility, right? You have to let them do what they think is in, in, in the vein of carrying out the commands that they've been given. But if you give them too much latitude, then what you end up finding is what we are seeing now, especially in law enforcement and FBI Department of Homeland Security, you have these agencies that decide that they have their own agenda and they don't really care what the president thinks, they don't care what Congress says, and they keep reinterpreting laws so that they can do whatever they want to. They make their own policy judgments. And the more you see this, the more the bureaucratic state, now I would call it the deep state, the more they act like they are the legislators or they are the judges, the farther away they get from the Constitution. Because according to the Constitution, they are neither. So Loper Bright actually addresses one source of this dilemma. It's called the Chevron Deference, which is a doctrine that was named for a a decision that was back in 1984. And it requires courts to defer to any reasonable agency interpretation of the ambiguities or silences in a law. So in practice, Chevron deference enables an agency to overstep their authority 
by just treating vague language or, or doubtful gaps in a statute as a, a pass, as an authorization for actions that they want to do, but which Congress never intended for them to do. So in Loper Bright, the National Marine Fisheries Service read one such doubtful gap into the Magnuson-Stevens Act and discovered somehow a previously unknown power to require small fishing vessels to pay for their federally mandated at-sea monitors who enforce restrictions on methods and amounts of fishing. So they're actually asking small guys, you know, who fish or who crab or lobster catchers to pay for the agents that they send out to restrict what they can do, where they can do it, and how much of it they can do. So the fishermen said, wait a minute, you can't, that's not what the court says. That's not what the law says. Congress writes the laws, and we're not supposed to be subjected to the whims of the agency, the National Marine Fisheries Service. So they're challenging um, whether or not they should, I mean, it sounds simplistic, but it's really quite important, whether or not they should be forced to pay for policing being done on them by an agency that doesn't have the authority to police them. It just doesn't. Even before it got to the high court, Chevron deference didn't, you know, look like it wasn't going to hold up. The Supreme Court has had a lot of administrative law cases, but they had not deferred under Chevron in the last six years. So, more often than not, they just invoke the non-deferential major questions doctrine, which re actually requires agencies to identify where is it in the law? Where is a congressional statement that authorizes you to do this? So that's going to be one of them. The lower federal courts love the Chevron doctrine. They find ambiguities in roughly 70% of cases across all the statutory regimes. The Supreme Court Seems like it's poised to limit that kind of deference to these agencies, but we'll see how far they'll go in this particular case. The other case, the uh, SEC versus Jarkasi, that's what they're going to ask is, should these agencies have a right to stop the cases of a person who objects to go before the courts and rather have these tribunals within the agencies themselves, where an administrative law judge decides which cases are relevant, and then they get to hear the case. So you could get rid of some of these in-house tribunals. I think it would be in the best interest of the American public. The SEC suspected that this guy, George Jarkasi Jr., and his investment advisor committed fraud. So it brought an enforcement action against them before one of its judges, and the defendants argued that the in-house tribunal violates their Seventh Amendment right to have a jury trial. That right, of course, applies to suits at common law, of which fraud is one. So the defendants argued the Constitution forbids the Securities Exchange Commission from bringing their case to its in-house tribunal. And they argued that Congress gave the agency way too much discretion to choose whether or not they get to bring a case to court or to an administrative law judge. So 
This is another case that's going to prove very interesting. The third one, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau uh, versus the Community Financial Services Association. You know, these agencies try to make themselves like uh, little mini governments. And sometimes Congress aids them in that. The Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is like the most dramatic example of that. When Congress created the Bureau in 2010, it did everything it could to make sure that they didn't answer to anyone but themselves. So Congress created a very unusual funding mechanism for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, by the way, which Elizabeth Warren was a big fan of. Most of the agencies receive their money from appropriations that Congress has to put forward. Not this one, not the Congressional, not the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. No, they get to take as much money as they want directly from the Federal Reserve, which makes them immune from Congress controlling them at all. And like the SEC, they make the rules, they enforce the rules, and basically they can do whatever they want, whatever their agenda is, rather than doing what Congress is telling them to do. And they've had a lot of criticism because they just don't pay attention to what Congress's legal right is, which is to determine what the law is. So these three cases are going to be very interesting. I know, you know, you you want me to talk about uh, Joe Biden and you want me to talk about Donald Trump, and I do, but I'm fascinated by the fact that we now have a Supreme Court made up of some constitutional scholars who I think are going to tackle the deep state from the judicial side. And nothing could make me happier than to see some of these agencies stripped of some of this incredible power that they've been allowed to wield over the American people in spite of the fact that they have absolutely no right to do so. So, you know, I'll keep my eye on it. I'll keep you informed about it. You don't have to read about it, although you should if you want to. All right, let me take a break. I'll be right back. Oh, my, 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 my. So the sentencing hearing for the former Proud Boys leader Enrico Tario, typical white supremacist, right, the Spanish guy, It was scheduled for this morning, but it was just postponed before it even began. And according to the Justice Department spokesperson, Patricia Hartman, she said the proceeding was canceled due to an emergency. Now, according to The Hill, a spokesperson for the court told The Hill that they were rescheduled because U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly, who is presiding over the case, is sick. So they've rescheduled it for September 5th at 2 p.m. You know, this guy has been in jail for over a year, him and four other defendants, for their supposed role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol in, in 2021. He was already convicted of seditious conspiracy and a bunch of other serious felonies in May. Look, I the other defendant, Joe Biggs, is they're recommending 33 years for him. So now it ends up he is going to be sentenced on Thursday at 10 a.m. And that same day, the other defendant, Zachary Real, will be sentenced. So the uh, the two that were scheduled for today... Ethan Nordeen and Enrico Tario, their sentencing is going to be delayed. One of them, I think, will be Friday. Proud Boy Dominic Pezzolawil will be sentenced Friday at 10 a.m. I don't know. 
I don't even, you know, I, I don't understand how those cases have dragged on for years and yet they can't wait until after the primary season to take Donald Trump into a court. That just doesn't make sense. If that doesn't reek of election interference, I don't know what does. Because there's something really disturbing about the fact that you have literally made it impossible for the number one candidate right now, the person who is in the lead for the Republican nomination, he has to show up to these court cases. And how do you campaign? He'll figure it out. One thing I know about Donald Trump is he'll have great surrogates or he will figure it out and he'll be flying around like a madman. And you, you can't, you cannot imagine, I, I can't imagine why they thought that nobody was going to find this really unseemly for a, a country as wonderful and great as we are. This is third world banana republic stuff. So you had this other judge today. Uh, uh, no, actually, I don't know what the judge did in this case, but uh, I was listening to Peter Navarro, who got into an argument with an anti-Trump protester on the steps of the federal courthouse on Wednesday because the judge ruled that Navarro cannot claim executive privilege as a defense in his contempt of Congress trial. So Peter Navarro attempted to swat away a, a sign reading Trump lost from a protester that was standing behind while he was speaking to reporters after the hearing. He took questions for a few minutes and then he turned and engaged with this woman who had been heckling him throughout the exchange with reporters. And Navarro's supporter had also stepped behind him and started waving a small American flag in front of the anti-Trump sign. This is the problem we have in America. Like she's got Trump lost, and you know, that's fine. She's expressing her point of view. She's got a megaphone to disrupt, but when it comes time for me to express my view with you, you've seen what she's done. She interrupts me while I'm speaking, and she won't even let an American show the American flag. Shame on you, ma'am, he continued. And that's the kind of stuff, I don't think they understand how this plays in middle America. Forget middle America, how this plays with me, how it plays with you. How do you not just presume that patriots are watching this and they're getting very distressed? Every time Donald Trump says, they're not coming after me, they're coming after you, I'm just in the way. I go check, I see another example, check. How do you not allow an aide or an advisor to the president to have executive privilege over conversations that he had with that president? It doesn't even make sense. How do you force an attorney for the president to give testimony against the president? That's just so un-American that it makes me crazy. And that's why I just keep digging in stronger and stronger and stronger because I know that we're too smart to let them get away with this because now it's Donald Trump, but next time it'll be someone else and eventually it'll be you and me. And that I can't afford to wait until they come after me. 
I need to know that I did everything I could to back him before they got to me. Apparently now the president, uh, Joe Biden, is going to call Mitch McConnell. Well, they're all buddies, right? You know, these guys who spent decades together in Washington, they're all one party. Apparently there's a lot of tension now between uh, our governor and the, you know, the, the people in Jacksonville. They were not happy with him, especially after this racist shooting. And it was. No question about it. The guy left a manifesto. He had all kinds of swastikas and everything else. But if you think back to 2019, when Ron DeSantis pardoned a group of black men who had been wrongfully accused of sexually assaulting a white woman decades before, at that time, you know, all the accusations of racism that had been, you know, leveled at him because he said, uh, don't monkey this up and vote for uh, a Gillum. And he didn't mean anything by that. But the case of the Groveland Four, who all died before having their names cleared, got a lot of national attention because he called it a miscarriage of justice. And for a while, there were plenty of people. As a matter of fact, when you look at the numbers of who voted for him in the second election, he had a lot of support, especially over school choice, especially over not shutting down the state with a black community, with the Hispanic community, and apparently that's now dissipating. He's not having a good time, I can tell you that. And maybe one day, some of these very qualified people will understand that when I tell them, now's not your time, maybe they ought to listen. It's not just me telling them, but some of us who've been watching the political scene for years and years and years, decades, boy, I hate saying that, but it's true. We know how it works. And he's in not in a good position anymore. Yeah, I know people are saying, well, he's still number two in the primaries and anything could happen and Donald Trump won't be able to campaign. Let me tell you something. Donald Trump doesn't have to campaign. He doesn't have to, you know, doesn't have to show up to debates. He's running on a record. And that record's not going to change. And the only person in the running right now with him Governor DeSantis also has a record, but it changes. I, this is going to sound terrible, but I thought about this last night. He really needed this hurricane to be a big deal because he, he does very well in national emergencies. And so I'm looking at the headlines. I'm looking at Trump, uh, not Trump, at uh, Drudge. And the headline is like, Flood of Florida, extent of damage unknown. And they got some guy riding a bicycle through through water that's up to his uh, puppet there, you know. Hurricane races through Georgia. Boy, I tell you. My heart goes out to anybody who was affected by the hurricane, but let's face it. This was, uh, this was a fairly light burger considering what we thought was going to happen. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson, then followed by Joe Paggs, Lars Larson, all the overnight guys. And tomorrow morning at 6 a.m., Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino, who has been on fire lately. And then, of course, followed by Dan Bongino and Dread, Joyce Kaufman. So stay right where you are. I have one more segment left, and then I'll wrap it up. Well, so uh, we try to figure out what's actually going on with Mitch McConnell, but it doesn't look good, you know. 
And all I can say is there's too many old, old, old people in positions of power. Dianne Feinstein, Nancy Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, and of course the President of the United States. Can't we, um, can't we do a complete like turnover? I'm not saying that we should have all, you know, millennials in there, but for goodness sake, at least you still pretty much have your marbles and you can be in pretty good health in your 50s and 60s, even in your early 70s. But these people are like in their 80s. Some of them are in their 90s. I think Feinstein is in her 90s. It's just nutty. We wouldn't let, we wouldn't let a person who is 90 years old still pilot a plane, even if they had been the greatest pilot of all time. It's just a little too risky, right? We don't have people signing up and joining the military in their 80s. As a matter of fact, we don't really want them joining in their 40s unless they have a special skill. And here we go. You just look at this aging. I mean, it looks like a senior citizen center sometimes when they're showing you Congress. You know, when the 65 and 70-year-old guys look like spring chickens. Unbelievable. But that's what it is. Oh, by the way, can I, all my friends who are from Canada, first of all, I know you're all glad that you're here now. Who could blame you? But now Canada has issued a warning about traveling to the United States. You're gonna love this. They're warning LGBTQ people not to come to the United States because they are at risk of being affected by state and local laws. Like, I'm just trying to figure out what is that? Do we have any state or any locality that would put you in jail for being gay? Because we should not have that. But we don't have that. What are they talking about? Are they talking about the fact that we object to the mutilation of prepubescent children who think they might be transgendered, but who are too young to even know if what transgendered means? I, I'm trying to figure out what's the danger to LGBTQIA in America? Because I know lots of very successful gay people in America. As a matter of fact, there are probably more successful gay people per capita than there are any other group that considers itself a group, right? They do better than, I can't even, I'm trying to figure, is there anybody who would be higher on the totem pole? Most of my gay friends are doing extraordinarily well. They're gifted, they're skilled, they're educated. They don't have to, for the most part, they don't raise children. Some have families, but for the most part, they don't. So they don't have to send kids to college. They don't need a five-bedroom house. And they travel and do all the wonderful things. So, like, what are they afraid of? If, if a gay person comes to America, I think Canada is afraid they'll stay here. Actually, all Canadians who come here kind of want to stay here. You know, you may have free health care in Canada, but the health care is not as good as it is here. So they, they actually have a Canadian deputy prime minister named Christian Freeland. She said the travel advice was updated 
because Ottawa prioritizes the interests and safety of every single Canadian. We have professionals in the government whose job it is to look carefully around the world and to monitor whether there are particular dangers to particular... Well, then don't let your people go to countries that are being led by mullahs and Muslims because they will throw gay people off the roofs, okay? But here in America, we don't punish people for being gay. Mm -mm. And we don't even uh, object to adults... Uh, changing their gender. We don't. But of course, you know, any country that would have Justin Trudeau as its leader needs a lot more help than I could give them. Thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at three o'clock if it be his will and he delays his coming. God bless you and God bless the United States of America. Thank God not worse of the hurricane. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.